Well, speaking of Father's Day, I wanted to know how many of you dads have seen your kids imitate you before, for better or for worse, right? Let's just see a show of hands. It should probably be all of you, right? Um, well, I have a son named Theo who is nearly two years old, and he loves to imitate me. Uh, I could give you numerous examples of it, but here's one of my favorites, and it's this kind of behind-the-back observing stance where he goes, and he'll, like, observe, kind of stand back, you know, and he'll, like, just do this, or he'll even walk through the whole house like that, you know, just, you know, going like this, and it's something that I do when I'm kind of observing or, you know, walking or thinking, uh, and in fact, my own dad, Happy Father's Day dad, does that too, so it's a multi-generational thing. Uh, <laughs> Theo will also sometimes pretend to sleep on the floor, something I do for naps occasionally. It actually does happen. I've been doing it since I was a kid. Sometimes the floor just is really comfortable. And he also loves to get in our uh, living room rocking chairs, um, our recliners, and uh, pull up a little blanket over his feet and crack open one of his little kid books and start reading, just like his daddy. That's my usual routine in the afternoons as well. And And I just love seeing him do that. My son Theo is motivated in nearly all the things he does to be like me, to imitate me. And uh, that's what drives him. That's what motivates him. And he likes to do things that his mommy does too. Um, But even Taylor will say he's a daddy's boy. My question for us today is what motivates us as Christians? What motivates us as Christians? I mean, we all know people who are motivated by sex, money, and power, and fame, and everything that they do in their life is to achieve those goals. My question for us is what motivates us and what, more specifically, motivates our Christian conduct? That's what our passage is really going to be talking about today. What motivates our Christian conduct? That's, again, what I think our passage answers today. So we are going to see that Paul has been motivated by Christ's example, right? We've been in 1 Corinthians, our untangled series, and he's been, motiva- he's been motivated by being like Christ, and he's urging the Corinthians to imitate him. And this passage is his concluding thought on idolatry and meat sacrifice. That what We started way back in chapter 8, and I actually started that uh, section too, and now here I have the privilege of ending it for us. And what really motivated him while he was with the Corinthian church, as we've seen him defend himself multiple times in this letter and his own conduct, was being like Christ. He's telling us that no matter what, big or little, the imitation of Christ is what motivates Christian conduct. So, what motivates Christian conduct? Again, it's the imitation of Christ in the big picture and the little, and the little details of life, too. And what we'll see, what we'll tease out here, that Paul is really one of those master teachers who both gives you the eagle's eye view, right, soaring above the clouds, seeing the whole landscape. He gives you the big picture, but also he gives you all the little details too, the little sparrow details, right, the sparrow that lives in the forest and is going in and knowing every day where he's getting his uh, or her uh, little pieces of straw to build the nest, like those little details. Paul will even get into that and say, what even happens when you're at the dinner table? Right? So Paul is covering the big picture and all the little details that comes with it. So what we're going to do is read the passage together, and then I'm going to tease out the big picture and little details for us. So 
read along with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of, because of that for which I give thanks? In verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may, may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let me say a very brief prayer. Father, I ask that you would give us open eyes, open ears to hear what you have for us today by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, again, the imitation of Christ is what motivates us, and it motivates us in the big picture. It motivates us in the big pictures. And all the things you do, seek the good of your neighbor. That's one of the big picture things. Remember in verse 24 that I just read, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. This is building all the way back on his argument from chapter 8, where Paul was saying, you know what, you can have the knowledge, but remember, knowledge puffs up. And instead, love, love builds up. And if we use our knowledge and in the process destroy our brothers and sisters, that's the language he used in chapter 8, then we are not actually using our knowledge correctly. Right? And, and those, the Corinthians were saying, you know what, I have this knowledge, right? All things are lawful. They said it back in chapter 8. But Paul says, not all things are helpful, right? If you're seeking the good of your neighbor, not all things that are lawful for you will be helpful. And if you're seeking the good, thing, good of your neighbor, not all things build up. So Paul is making the big picture statement that imitating Christ in the big picture means seeking the good of your neighbor. And remember, I said he's doing that in imitating Christ, Christ himself. And so we see in chapter, or chapter 10, verse 24, that really Paul is tapping back on the life of Jesus Christ. Do you guys remember in John 10, where Jesus says that I am the good shepherd? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus saw us as his neighbors. And in Romans 5, it also tells us that Jesus died for us while we were yet enemies, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet lost and weak. And, and, and Paul makes the argument there, well, I mean, someone might die for a righteous person, but scarcely for a wicked person, right? And we see here that uh, Paul is imitating Christ's very own example and what's motivating him 
is that he's seeking the good of his neighbor, not just his own good. He's motivated by Christ's very own example. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. That's one of the big picture things. And also we see in verse 28 that I read, but someone says to you, this has been offered and sacrificed, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. I'm going to unpack that here in a minute in some of the little details. But what I wanted to point out is that Paul is using that to say, you know what? I have these freedoms, but I can limit myself at times to care for my neighbor, to care for my brother and sister in Christ. So the good of your neighbor is more important than your freedom. If we are using our freedoms, using our rights, using all those things that we have in Christ to uh, just go about the world and not consider others, we're trampling over our brothers and sisters. And Paul says that is not Christ-like. So the imitation of Christ motivates the big picture, and that means seeking the good of your neighbor, not just your own self. It also means this. Imitating Christ in the big picture means doing everything for the glory of God. I'm sure you've heard that verse before. It's, it's, some, it's one that I hear all the time. Paul says again in verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so Paul's saying, so long as your freedom doesn't affect the glory of God, use that freedom, right? He tells them that you can eat that meat that had been sacrificed in idols. People would go to the meat market and pick up meat, and um, sometimes that would be what was used in sacrifices in pagan idols and uh, temples. And Paul's saying, you know what? Please, don't worry about that in in these particular instances, because all of that is God's good creation. The The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So whatever your freedom is, you can use your freedom so long as it doesn't affect the glory of God. Let us not tarnish God in his name by our actions. Let us remember the weightiness of God. That's kind of the idea behind the Old Testament usage of the word glory, right? Is this weightiness that there's a certain weight behind God's name. There's a certain weight behind God that, you know, you don't want to mess with him. And also you don't want to tarnish his name also because of how valuable he is to you. It means doing everything you do for the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. One way um, that I kind of want to communicate the glory of God image here uh, to kind of round out this first initial point is um, when I was growing up, uh, a popular TV show uh, was this kind of uh, MTV uh, Yo Mama TV series. Did anybody hear about that? Okay. I hope you haven't. Um, I sometimes am like, what did I watch growing up? But anyways, uh, it was this TV show where they would pit two people, usually um, rappers or comedians, um, and they would you know, make yo mama jokes, right? And so and here's the context, right? We all kind of know, um, you know, your mom, if you're, if you're fighting with somebody, like moms and dads, like they're off limits. Don't, don't slander somebody's family, right? Like, come on, just don't go there, right? And so in the context of comedy, they thought it was funny to make these ab- ab- absurd just yo mama jokes. Like, your mama um, is so stupid, X, Y, Z, they would like, you know, she doesn't even know how to, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to butcher the, the joke, so I should have looked one up. <laughs> but they would go back and forth, right? Now, in comedy, that's okay, right? But then if you're actually having an, a fight in, in, a, in a battle with somebody, right, um, moms are off limits, right? 
you know, don't you dare say that about my mom. She's a saint. That's what we would say in my high school, um, jokingly. Um, but that's kind of the idea behind, I think, this glory of God idea, is that there are certain things that are off limits. And so whatever we do, what, however we use our freedom, whatever we eat or drink, whatever we do, let's not impinge upon the glory of God. Let's not damage his weightiness and his worthiness. So, just a couple of things that I teased out there, again, are we seek the good of our neighbor, and we do everything for the glory of God. That's how we imitate Christ in the big picture. And then, for some of those little details, I want to look at that too, because the imitation of Christ motivates the little details. Paul is giving us the big, right, the big overarching kind of eagle's eye view and saying, whatever you do, keep your neighbor in view. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And then he's saying that goes all the way down to even dinner table conversations. It means here in Paul and also for our own lives that the dinner table means a lot. The dinner table means a lot. So look again with me at some of these verses, starting in verse uh, 25. Again, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For, again, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We should be able to give thanks for the many good things that God always puts on our table. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and all the snacks in between, right? We should be able to give thanks because all of that is God's good gift, and it all belongs to Him, and therefore we should rightly say, God, thank you for giving this to me, right? We should be say thank you. And that's what Paul is saying, that all that meat, even the meat that has been sacrificed in an idol's temple, it's still all meat that God has provided for everybody, right? So, so go and eat that without raising a ground of conscience. And then he gets even more, right? So that'd be meat you'd um, take home. Usually for the wealthy people, a lot of poor people couldn't afford meat. So whenever you take that meat home. And then also, if you are invited to dinner, right? Many of us are invited to dinner, maybe by some of our colleagues, co-workers, or unbelievers in our lives, right? If you're invited to dinner, verse 27, and you're going, eat whatever is set before you, again, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But, so, but if someone says to you, now, notice this has changed, all right? Just, I'm going to walk us through carefully here, this dinner kind of table thing going on. So, an unbeliever invites you, and you're about to eat the meat <clears throat> that's set before you, and then someone, this isn't the unbeliever, the, the, the referent changes here. This is someone at the dinner. We don't know if it's another Christian. We don't know if it's a waiter who knows you're like uh, a, a, a Christian, um, you know, formerly a Jew being Paul. We don't know all the details, right? But Paul says if someone informs you that this meat was sacrificed to idols, then he says, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, for the sake of conscience and their conscience, so, again, we could try and get lost in the nitty-gritty details, but here's what I'm trying to just say is, and even in those little details, even in those dinner conversations, we remember that we have to keep in mind the good of our neighbor and the glory of God, right? That was the big picture, and Paul's zooming in here and saying that if someone tells you that, hey, let's just pretend there was another Christian who's come to dinner with you or, or whatever circumstances they're there, maybe they're even, because Christians could be slaves at this time, one of the people serving the meal to you, and they whisper and say, by the way, this was sacrificed to so, at so-and-so's pagan temple earlier, right? Because of their conscience, even though you have the freedom to eat it, even though you've given thanks for that, 
You can limit your freedom in that circumstance. That, that, that's one of the things we can do to take care of our neighbors. And he says, again, I do not mean your own conscience, but for his. And he, again, defends himself. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So something to understand here is it's not that you're just changing your conscience with every interaction with a Christian who thinks or believes differently than you. You can still hold firm to your own conscience, but in certain circumstances, you can be the one who chooses to limit your freedom. Again, uh, a really quick example of that would just be, hey, if you know someone in your life, right, this, this kind of goes and ties with a modern contemporary example, if you know someone in your life who has struggled with alcohol, whatever reason that would be in, in history past, or maybe for them it's just not right for their conscience, and you have the freedom to drink that, that in a circumstance when you're with that person, you choose to limit your freedom for the sake of your neighbor. That's basically the principle of what's going on here. The principle of what's going on at dinner tables in Paul's day and age in the Corinthians is saying there are certain times when you can limit your freedom, and that's a good thing to do because it's for the good of your neighbor. So it matters. All these little details matter. We seek not our own advantage in these situations, but again, we seek to do to glorify God in everything we do. Let me maybe bring this into our contemporary context briefly, because all, all of us, uh, Lord willing, are, are sitting frequently and eating at dinner tables with our families, coworkers, colleagues, maybe business partners, future business partners. And again, Paul, before this chapter, has talked about you know uh, pagan temple worship and the the Corinthians are not to go and dine in the pagan temple, right? It's a, a difference between venue and menu. Paul's saying that you're okay with the menu, but the venue, you go and eat and worship at the temple, you're dining with demons, he said in the, in the uh, passage before we didn't cover it. So it's a difference between venue and menu. And, and, and so Paul is saying, like, there are certain things that are off limits, and then there are certain things like the meat that you, you could eat that are okay. So, again, for us, there are certain idols that, again, are powerful in our day and age. I mentioned some of them at the beginning, sex, money, and power. So I wanted to get into maybe some applicational things that happen around the dinner table or in context that kind of bring that uh, to life for us. So let's talk about sex first, one of those idols. Maybe you're a teenager in this room, and after dinner, or you're, you know, you're out to eat, or you're at your friend's house, or, or whatever it might be, and someone in your friend group decides to pull up uh, pictures that they've been sexting somebody with the other day, or pornography, whatever it is. In those instances, for you to partake in that would to be hurting the glory of God. And also, you would not be caring well for your neighbor because that is not the way that God intended things to be. Because the people on the other end, those people on those images, are God's image bearers. And they are devalued when they become objects like that. And therefore, you're not seeking the good of your neighbor when you're participating in that. Or maybe another situation is, again, still teenagers, but adults, you can get caught up in this too. Your friends are joking and using crude language, horrible imagery, whatever it might be. I mean, it is, you know, clearly they are being awful in some of their jokes. And they're jokes, but they're really awful jokes. Don't get caught up in that because you will not glorify God in that. And again, you demean and hurt your neighbors 
when you devalue who they are by using that crude language or imagery. And that's not just for teenagers, that's for us when we're out with our work buddies and our colleagues at dinner. That, that, that matters for us too. Let's talk about the idol of money. You go out to dinner and maybe <clears throat> you're going to dinner with somebody and long story short, part of their conversation is figuring out a way to make more money and maybe make more money illegally. Maybe it's, it's it, whatever, whatever that might look like. Maybe it's tax evasion. Who knows? I don't know. But don't get caught up in that. Walk away from that conversation in the best way you can. Don't seek out after that. Because again, you're seeking the good of your neighbor, not just yourself. It's easy to get caught up in things. It's easy to be like, oh man, if I could just have that extra 20, 30, 40 grand here, that would really help for this college fund or that. Like, but you know that that money would be tarnished. It would be dirty. Don't get caught up in those things. I'm not saying maybe that's what we have going on here in this church, but these are very real-life situations that can happen. Dealings with other businesses or, or things like that that can, you can find out that I don't think this is happening in, a, in, a, in, a, in an ethic, ethically right way. Don't get caught up in that because you don't glorify God and you don't seek the benefit of your neighbor. And power. Maybe you're brokering deals at dinner for positions of power. You know, I, you know, if you do this, I'll give you this, right? Uh, you see it a lot in TV shows. You know, you move this chess piece here, and I'll make sure you get this chess piece that you want, right? You're brokering deals, and it's really propping yourself out for positions of power, whatever it might be. Or you're grasping for what C.S. Lewis called the inner ring, right? Getting in that circle for, to be in the know, the people who are in. And so you're kind of doing whatever it takes to network and get into those inner circles because you want to be one of the people that know. Don't get caught up in that loss for power. And another way, another way that we kind of get power is by justifying ourselves. And one way that we justify ourselves is by gossiping. And I know sometimes it's hard to know what's, you know, conversation and what's gossip. That's, that takes God's wisdom. But re- refuse to be a part of gossip. Refuse to see people slandered when they're not around. Refuse to gossip with people. Don't seek to bring yourself power in those situations. So, imitating Christ in the little details means the dinner table matters a lot. And it also means that we need to accommodate to others. Accommodate to others. This is in verses 32 and 33. Look with me. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Paul is saying that in everything he does, he tries to please everyone. How anti-American is that, right? In everything we do, he does, he tries to please everyone, not seeking my own advantage, again, anti-American, but that of many. And what's the goal? That they may be saved. Paul says, give no offense and please everyone in everything you do. Those are hard, that's a hard saying, that's a hard teaching, right? And again, this isn't just like, you know, having no spine or anything like that, but this is remembering the goal, that people would be saved, and meeting people where they're at. Let me give you a contemporary example that I think can flesh this out for us. Missionaries have been sent um, for, for many centuries all over the world, and there's one famous missionary that maybe some of you have heard of, her name is Lottie Moon, and she was a missionary to China. And um, 
Again, I'm not a missions expert by any means, even though we're going through this process with 1615, and I'm learning a lot. Uh, but instead of taking one of the models, which was you just take your kind of uh, white Western um, kind of uh, American camp to a different country, and you build a facility around that, I'm not saying that that didn't have impact um, and that people weren't saved that way. Uh, another model, which is what Lottie Moon did in her accommodation, was she went and she became, in a sense, Chinese to save people, to see them come to know Christ. Here's um, what it was. Uh, what, here's a little description of Lottie Moon. She served for 39 years in China, faithfully, until her death. People feared and rejected her, but she refused to leave. The aroma of fresh-baked cookies drew people to her house, and she adopted traditional Chinese dress, and she learned China's language and customs. And she didn't just serve the people of China. She identified with them and, in a sense, became Chinese herself. Many eventually accepted her, and some accepted her Savior. And she's one of the chief reasons that Christianity is exploding from, from her impact many years ago to um, exploding now in China to this day. She accommodated herself to the Chinese people. She gave no offense to them. And she sought to please, every, sought to please them in everything she did. I hope that we can do that when we're talking with people that we disagree with. When we're looking at non-Christians and we realize that you just stumbled into a conversation that you know can get pretty heated, Right? And, and our reaction generally is to be on the offensive, to be on the attack. What if in some of those instances, instead of us doing that, we took a step back, accommodated, tried to understand their language, tried to understand what they were saying, listening? And I think that we would do that more often if we remembered the goal, that they may be saved. I wanted to close with application. And it's this, let Christ motivate your entire life. Let Christ motivate your entire life. Right? I said, so what motivates the Christian life? The imitation of Christ. In the big picture and in the little details. In the big picture, your overarching purpose, remember that you are to imitate Christ. That you have a purpose as Christ, um, uh, as God's children and as people who are to imitate Christ. That's your big purpose, is to imitate him, to be like him, and to bring more people into God's sheepfold. Remember the big picture. And then also in the small things, even how you conduct yourself around the dinner table. Christ is, is, is king over every square inch of the universe, including that dinner table. Remember that you are to imitate Christ. So here's my question for us to end. How many of us would be willing to pre present our own lives for inspection as models of Christ's self-giving love? How many of us, again, would be willing to present our own lives for inspection as models of Christ's self-giving love? That's a hard word. But yet Paul boldly said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let me pray. Father, I just ask that you would help us 
to be people who are trying to imitate your son Jesus in all that we do, in the big and in the little. Thank you that you are good and that you keep us, that you uphold us, and you sustain us. That you've given us a guide in the Apostle Paul through, your, through 1 Corinthians to help us to remember what motivates us. And that's being like your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray today. Amen.